If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan, and today... I have Andrew Ramondi back on the podcast as we talk about the NBA trade deadline and recap all the moves that ended up happening. Um, and it was a pretty eventful uh, trade deadline, I think, especially with what we were expecting. Um, so, Andrew, welcome back on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. I, I definitely agree with your characterization of the trade deadline. I think it was more of... Um the quality of the moves than the quantity. Like, it wasn't one of those things where there are some years where as you get to 3 p.m., like, all these deals are coming in, and it wasn't so much like that. But I think we saw many bigger names, quote-unquote, move than we were expecting. You know what I mean? Well, like, a lot of the best players that were rumored to be available did get moved, and I don't think we were necessarily expecting that come. Yeah, that, w- that was exactly what I was going to say. Like, pretty much everyone that was rumored to move, other than maybe Danilo Gallinari, yeah. ended up getting moved. Yeah. Which was, I think, usually when things like that come out, you kind of take it with a grain of salt until it actually ends up going through. Mm-hmm. And pretty much all of the quality guys that were being brought up, like Clint Capella, um, talking about uh, Robert Covington, D'Angelo Russell, Andrew Wake, like all those guys ended up moving yep. and getting traded. So uh, we have a lot to unpack here. So, Andrew, from your point of view, who do you think kind of – I don't know how you want to do this, but who do you think made out the best, um, in your opinion, in terms of like just the quality of the move and how you like the player and in terms of how they fit with the, their new team? Well, kind of taking that question in parts, I would say the biggest winner of if I'm if we go, what is the trade deadline? Well, there could be two there could be kind of two ways to look at this. What is the trade deadline ostensibly about? You're either doing one of two things. You're trying to set yourself up for a championship run or a deep playoff run this year, or you're trying to kind of pivot and and set yourself up for the future. Um, one team that I think flourished in that primary category, that first category, despite it not necessarily being like the flashiest move of all time, was was the LA Clippers, in, in my opinion, trading for Marcus Morris. And this is one of those moves that kind of like, we kind of knew was going to happen in some capacity. He was dealt to the Clippers for Mo Harkless and and their first round pick this year. And then there were kind of some some ancillary moves. They got back um, the Knicks. The Wizards got involved and they got Isaiah Thomas, who, who? they then right. w- waived and you know stuff like that. But basically, the Harkless and and a first for for Morris was kind of what they what what the important the you know material part of the deal was and when you look like let's set aside Morris as a player like we can kind of discuss whether how much of an upgrade he he may be over a guy like Harkless um when you look at the the three primary contenders the who I think we would all agree are the Clippers the the Bucks and the Lakers uh and the yeah and the Lakers they were the only one to really get that much better like we can talk about some of the buyout stuff that's materializing maybe later on in the show but uh 
that trade, and it's been mentioned, you know, but people who might not listen to NBA podcasts all the time like like I do, you're, that trade is big because you're keeping a guy like Morris away from those other teams. So that's one more guy. Like Morris, I think, is, is, is a pretty good defensive stopper who you can throw out a guy like LeBron, although they won't necessarily need to given that they already have Kawhi and Paul George, but it gives you another piece there. And the advantage I think he has over a guy like Harkless, as, as a guy who watched Maurice Harkless play in a lot of playoffs and, and likes Maurice Harkless, but he can hit a shot also. You can depend on him to to, to stand in the corner and ma- make threes. Like, is that what he does necessarily on a game-to-game basis in, like, the regular season? No, but he's a pretty good shooter, and... Uh, Guys who can shoot and play defense are at a premium in this league, especially in the playoffs. So that's the move. There, that's not necessarily the most interesting move. Like I definitely want to talk about the Coving trade, Covington trade, because I kind of liked that for most of the teams involved, and I think that'll be an interesting one to dissect. But like the top line headline for an NBA fan, I think should be that move because that's the one that has the most bearing on the finals uh like who wins the end and you know that's not to oh i know i'm rambling a little bit but i just want to fully that's not to overplay it either like how much does the needle move probably not a lot like if as opposed to them getting like you know us like if the clippers if tristan thompson gets bought out and close to the clippers that actually might be a bigger move than the morris move i'm completely speculate just to show like the overall um, importance of it, but those things take on a little bit of an outsized importance, especially given when there aren't a lot of moves to be made near the top of the league right now. Yeah, and I think one of the most interesting points that you ended up making in that, um, in your analysis of the trade, was the idea that the Clippers were keeping as much as it was a move for them. It was as much of a move to keep Marcus Morris away from the Lakers yes. and, and the Lakers adding him. And the and there was a lot of rumors on basically there being like an arms race to kind of see who ends up getting Marcus Morris and who is going to offer the most. And there was, <clears throat> from the Lakers side of things, I think Woj and like Shams kind of reported their unwillingness to give up Kyle Kuzma yeah. and... I think for them to make the contracts work, they would have had to given up someone like Danny Green as well. They, so so I was <coughs> reading about that a little bit because I wanted to throw this back at you. I definitely wouldn't have done Kuzma and Green for, definitely not, for no. Morris. But I think they could have also made it work with doing something like Avery Bradley and Kuzma, Avery Bradley, and, and um, Cousins for... For uh, for Morris, and I was wondering if you were the Lakers, would you have considered that? I I would be, like I think it might come as a surprise to some casual NBA listeners that like the idea of moving moving Kuzma for Marcus Morris just because Kuzma I think has a sort of outsized. Re- I'm trying to say overrated in a nice way, like because I don't think he's a bad player, but mm-hmm. like I just think his utility <laughs> to the Lakers for what it is doesn't I- is is a little bit not as much as it would be to a team like the Knicks at, at the very least. So you can keep going with what you were saying, but I did want to ask you if you would have considered doing something like Bradley Kuzma, Cousins. I think Morris. I would have considered it then, but Danny Green, he's like a guy that's been proven oh, I def- like in yeah, a playoff, I wouldn't do playoff Danny like could Danny be Green's on probably the, the third most important player. On could their team be right on now. the floor yeah. 
during crunch time yeah. in an NBA Finals game. Yeah. He's proven that last year yeah. and in previous years with the Spurs. So it's like agreed. I it would have been really tough for me to rationalize something a move like that, especially with some of the front court <laughs> pieces that the Lakers have. And I I don't know me I probably would have done it just because like LeBron's clock is ticking and all that stuff. Yeah. Um. But maybe I mean maybe the Knicks were kind of like that doesn't appeal to us and they wanted the first round pick for s- for whatever reason. It's possible. And, and yeah, it's. And the expiring deal in on Harkless, like that was probably something that was appealing. Well, the, but the, 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 the stupid <coughs> thing is that they didn't flip that. Like if right. I now the Knicks were in a lot of front office turmoil. Um, they had fired their president Mills, of basketball yep. operations a couple days beforehand, and had just hired Leon Rose, a player agent. So maybe they were operating at lower than full capacity. But I mean, Harkless is a nice player, and like. Sure, you want to have decent players on your team for the rest of the season, but like, I, if I were the Knicks, the whole point of doing let's pres- apparently Kuzma wasn't on the table at all, but let's presume he was. I think the Kuzma deal w- is better if you're not flipping Harkless for something. Like, at least get a second round pick for him. You would think one of these teams, like the Mavs or the Bucks or whoever would be. I mean, we. I'm. I'm getting in too many. But the Bucks had this first round pick from Indiana that they just didn't use. Like right. they didn't get better. They didn't seem to have much of an interest in because, arguably, that Pacers pick would have been a better deal than what the the, the Clippers could offer. Um. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. That I thought that was surprising that the Knicks wouldn't at least try and see what they could get for Horkless after the fact. Yeah. It's. I think it's just tough, especially with maybe so many moving parts in the front office. Yeah. Like, who's making the decisions I have to, no like, idea. exactly to, like, kind of sign off on, okay, this is the deal we want in comparison to this deal from the Lakers. Mm. So I'm not exactly sure what was happening in that front office at all, especially with that turmoil a couple days before where Steve Mills ends up getting fired. Um, so that would have been interesting to see what Mills's thinking would have been if he had been in that position. Well, that was apparently one of the reasons they fired him. Mills right. didn't want to give up Morris at mm-hmm. all. And I wonder if that was based on this, like, we need to be as good as possible for me to try and save my job kind totally. of thing. So I did want to move on and talk about, and you did mention this, the Capella-Covington, that 12-player deal. Uh, it involved four teams. It was... I mean, just to kind of even, like, recap all the things that ended up happening. So, I'll recap it, and then I'll let me get you. Do you have the terms? Yep, I have the terms. Okay. So, the Hawks, Nuggets, and Rockets, and Timberwolves were all involved in this deal. Um, So, the Hawks ended up receiving Clint Capella from the Rockets, as well as Nene, and he ended up getting waived um, after that. The Nuggets ended up receiving Shabazz Napier, Keita bates Jop. Um, Gerald Green from the Rockets, Noah Vonley, ex, ex uh, Portland Trailblazer, and uh, 2020 first round pick from the Rockets. The Rockets received Rocco, Jordan Bell, and then a 2024 second round pick. And then the Timberwolves received Malik Beasley, Evan Turner, um, Hernan Gomez, Jared Vanderbilt, and then a 2020 first round pick. That was a lot of stuff there. 
Yeah, I think we can pretty much take it team by team. And although I do have interest in the good thing is the Wolves, we can then talk about that in conjunction. I think we right, can right. talk about Mini on so the So let's talk about later. them. Let's talk about we'll them last. Them. So we'll, let's talk about the Rockets because I think that's yep. the one most people are interested in is arguably the most the most fascinating. We know, and we haven't talked about as much. Like We talked about Minnesota uh, a lot when it went down. But the Rockets, the Rockets, and in the last couple days, I've been pretty... Now it was a pretty, it was a fairly steep price to pay. I would say on the whole, like you're giving up Capella, and ba- and a first rounder basically. I think yep. I think they on gave the, whole. the first rounder away uh, to the Nuggets. Now they're getting out of the tax, which is a thing that we, it's hard to tell. Is kind of like not exciting to people, but. With uh, Tillman Fertitta taking over o- ownership of the Rockets, there's kind of been this implicit idea that maybe he doesn't want to spend that much money. Let's set that aside for a moment. Because I think that the thing, I thought it was a, fu- I was okay with the trade on the whole, but I've been persuaded, especially over time, by this reading of it, which I think makes sense. Like, you have to take this, you have to fit this move in the context of the Rockets ethos over the last few years and when they stand and where they stand in the Western Conference right now. This is a team that has been functionally all in. Zach Lowe said this in a piece I was reading earlier. They've basically been all in since they've got James Harden. You know what I mean? They're constantly looking at like how do we keep this championship window as it were. I mean there could be an argument about how if they're really in the window or not open for as long as we can and how do we knowing that we often like whether it be the Warriors a couple years ago or the Lakers Clippers and Bucks now how do we make it so that if we are deficient in in frontline talent or overall depth or whatever whatever the case may be how do we make it so we give ourselves enough of enough like from almost an analytic perspective how do we make the variance such that we give ourselves the highest the highest probability to to shock people and and make it to the finals or win a championship in the warriors days that was with like three-point shooting right it was like we're just gonna get as many three-point shooters as possible wing players and we're gonna you know and that's with against the Warriors, we're going to increase the variance that way. You know what I mean? We're going to make it so that maybe we can get really, really hot shooting for a seven-game series and, and you know, win. And they almost did that, people forget. You know, they took the Warriors to seven games, and if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, we, we they could might be having a different yeah. conversation. Now, that's a very long-winded run-up to this Clint Capella trade. They don't have a center, basically, right now. Jordan Bell... And like, who's that dude? Josh Hartenstein, or like their two oh, centers. So it's uh, Isaiah Hartenstein oh, and yeah, um, Isaiah. Tyler, uh, t- Tyler, Tyson Chandler. Yeah, so. exactly. So we're <coughs> going for the small ball thing with PJ Tucker starting at center. Like, this is another one of those things I see with like this kind of variance thing. Like, we are going to, instead of matching, we know we have to get through the Lakers and the Clippers to, you know, when the uh, to get out of the West, and rather than trying to mold ourselves to the to their playing style and match up in such a way that you know we can have the best chance to guard Anthony Davis and what have you, now nah, we're gonna f- we're going to adjust our playing style and adjust our personnel so that we have a chance of kind of dictating what has to happen, and that other teams, you know, have to adjust to us. And sure, they're gonna pound the boards and you know 
Anthony Davis might score 50 on us or whatever, but also maybe we just hit a bunch of threes and we gunk things up on, up on the de defensive end and we force the Lakers to make uncomfortable personnel decisions. And like at the end of the day, I think it's, po you, it's possible to argue that this move made it more likely that they win the championship this year. Now, not by much. Did they go from 5% to 7%? Maybe, Probably. but the yeah. the fact of the matter is, though, the way Daryl Morey operates this front office, you sacrifice the 2023, you know what I mean? You sacrifice Clint Capella's favorable deal. I mean, we can get into Clint Capella. I'd like to talk about Cl Capella more, and maybe I can, you we'll can, talk about you with can the introduce yeah, that, yeah. and we can talk about the value of centers <laughs> more broadly. But I, th I think it's, it's a weird thing to try and wrap your head around but i think the more and more you kind of game it out it, it makes sense yeah it's i mean from the rockets perspective it was interesting because we we are what now a couple days like four or five days removed from the trade deadline so we've actually gotten to see some of these players play yeah. on their new teams and obviously the fit's gonna be weird especially on the fly um, in the middle of the season. But it's interesting to just kind of see, like, the small sample size, especially this Rockets team, and I've been interested in seeing them play. So I saw the game when Rocco ended up playing against the Lakers, and yeah. they ended up getting that huge win um, against the Lakers, I believe, on the road. And then they subsequently had two losses against Phoenix Suns and then uh, the Utah Jazz, uh, which was a crazy game. Um, but, yeah, it was just insane to see like the buzzer beater and everything like that by Bogdanovich. But with that as with that aside, it's I I think it's really hard to get my mind wrapped around it just because of how we grew up with basketball in terms of like, all right, you need a big guy in the middle of the like in the middle and with the way teams are kind of constructing their teams nowadays it they're completely changing that and warping the way a lot of people think about basketball um and <coughs> robert covington does that for them in terms of like the switchability aspect on mm -hmm. defense um and he's a plus like he's a plus defender definitely um for them so that he can cover up some of the inefficiencies of someone like harden or westbrook um so like those things on the whole, when you look at the Covington deal and what they got in return, they c they got what they wanted, and they were f really fixated on getting some, like, basically Robert Covington. Yeah. They weren't going to be satisfied with ha getting anyone else, it seemed like, um, and pivoting a different way. So they were willing to give up that first-round pick and be like, all right, that's not a big deal to us because, like, how is the first-round pick going to help us? And a lot of experts are saying a fairly weak draft in the draft position that we're probably going to be taking this person is it going to like marginally help us in future years like with this Westbrook Harden kind of combination my thing about all this is and maybe this is like hindsight is 2020 from a Rockets perspective the Chris Paul Russell Westbrook deal like We've kind of seen the 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 fit between Westbrook and Harden for the past half, like 40, 50 games now. And I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but it doesn't seem like it's necessarily gelling that well. Um, like, 
does Westbrook make them better, or what? Do you think this move? Do you think this move? And I th- I was listening to Zach Lowe podcast mm-hmm. on this. Do you think this move kind of was in response to because Westbrook needs more space to operate, well, it's funny. and that I that didn't kind of con- I didn't even listen to. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut right, you right. off. No, and no, that what the space to operate and what yeah, was the last like part Westbrook need Westbrook needs more space to operate, so that's why you can't have Compella in the middle, yeah. like clogging up the lane. So that's why we get rid of him. Have Rocco kind of rotate yeah. out into the corner, it's so he there's more space. It's to very operate. funny. I didn't listen to that specific <coughs> Zach Lowe talk about that, but. This makes me feel like a smart basketball mind because you are that was literally what mind. I was going to bring up. Is like I actually think we get so fixated on the defensive, like how are they going to guard centers, like blah 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 thing, that we don't. I was going to say winner of this trade is Russell Westbrook, and you saw it in that Laker game, right? Because with in that five out style, you just have so much more. Sp- you know what I mean? It really favors Westbrook's ability to just head downhill and get to the rim and drive and kick and do all the things that Russell Westbrook is good at. Now, the Paul trade is an interest. Do they make this move if they still have Chris Paul? I don't know. Maybe, probably not. Like, like you're right. But, like, it's just the overall. But I don't know if they'd be in a better spot place if they and that's kind of the weird um that's i guess looking back at the chris paul trade that's like the weird duality of what they did with that trade is like that was the one forward looking move you can argue they kind of made is that bet that like russell westbrook over and on his bloated going back to our discussions about it was like russell westbrook on his bloated contract over the next few years will be marginally better than chris paul on his bloated contract over the past few years has Chris Paul been better than Russell Westbrook this season? I would argue yes. But, uh, like... Three years down the line? But is I don't gonna, know, yeah. like, if we look at the overall end product of what this team's going to do, I don't think they're necessarily in a worse space than the Chris Paul version of of this team would be. I mean, Harden has struggled a little bit lately. He has. And yep. you could argue that, you know what I mean? Like... If Harden's struggling, would you rather have Paul running your team or Westbrook running your team? I'd probably, probably Westbrook. say Westbrook. Right, exactly. So, like, you know what I mean? There are so many moving parts to that equation. I think it is an interesting thought. But like I said, it's kind of – I think it all stems back to that Daryl Morey philosophy of kind of judging those marginal – you know, looking for your market inefficiencies and, and exploiting them where you can for better or for worse. Right. Um, so let's move on and talk about the Hawks in yeah. this deal. Um, they ended up getting Clint Capella, who they uh, they really wanted. They really wanted a big next to John Collins uh, to kind of take away some of that pressure from Collins being a being like a stretch five, I guess. Um, and they got Nene, who uh, they ended up waving. W- what do you make of this move for the Hawks? Because I find it like. Capella's on a pretty good contract, c- pretty good deal. He somewhat matches the arc and the nucleus of that team with Trey Young and a lot of the young pieces that they have. Um, what do you make of it, and does it make sense to you what they're doing there? Well, that's an interesting. So it all though those are like two. I I would say yes and yes, like but like not <laughs> necessarily super emphatic yeses. Um, 
just to talk about Capella and his contract and whatever, I think it's something like four years around like twelve million. Like it's a pretty pretty good deal. The question, I, I think it's a little. I think it's I don't more think it's not. Le- it's not more than fourteen. It's definitely not. It's like thirteen and a half at the most. I'm pretty sure. It's uh five years ninety million. Yeah, but five so divided by ninety is what fifteen then? Eighteen. Yeah, but I I think there might be some. But even even so, I think uh it's regarded as one of the better uh starting center deals in the NBA. There's a lot of much. incentives. Yeah, that's. Attached I don't to think it it's stuff. really. Yeah. F- I think it really works out to more to more around fifteen million annually. Let Let's set that apart. It's known that he's on a good a good contract. That's for sure. And the other thing to consider is that the Hawks had a lot of cap space this summer. And they were possibly looking at them. They knew they wanted a center. They knew they wanted a center who could. We'll talk about the fit next to Collins in a second. But they knew they wanted a center who could kind of be a floor raiser for this team. The fact of the matter is, and we've been talking about this. We talked about this on our last podcast, I think, briefly about that how the Hawks have gone about building their team versus a team like the Grizzlies. And I think for the Hawks. And when you compare those two teams, the lack of kind of adults in the room, quote unquote, has has really hurt them. Um, now, does that matter or not when you're in this kind of long rebuilding process? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But you kind of start to look at the timeline of Trey Young and how he's performing. And if you don't want him to just be good on a shitty team forever, you know, so getting around to I think in this week free agent class they also looked at the market and said are we going to get a better center on a better deal than Clint Capella no let's just let's just roll with Capella now um so and conversely I think the Rockets looked and said does in this newfangled NBA do does even Capella on a favorable deal, is he that much more valuable than replacement center X on, on you know, two on mid-level exception X or whatever? And I think they said no. So it's kind of an interesting contrast in that way. But I want to I want to just hit on one thing before. So I think Capella's value to this team actually is defensively for that reason. The Hawks have been d- not for that reason, but I think when I look at what he'll like why I like it for them, it's that defensive kind of reason. Um, Collins is a shitty defender. Trey Young's is, like this team has no good defenders on it. And while Capella, like it, it remains to be seen how he'll function outside of kind of the Rocket system. But I think he's he's an above average defender at center, and he will f- provide some sort of modicum of defense at the rim that the Hawks haven't haven't had to this point I actually think offensively it's more interesting because Capella what Collins's value came from was being a rim runner and now Capella's going to be the rim runner so I think you're going to see Collins a little bit more as a floor spacer and he's shown somewhat of an ability of an ability to do that but we don't know for sure how he's going to flourish in that role yet, so I think it'll be pretty interesting to see. Now, the good thing is, the Hawks having made this move, I don't think they're necessary. They can ha- spend some time seeing how it plays out. They're going to have another. They're going to have another great pick this year, and beyond that point, 
like how many more young guys are you going to bring in? So I think it's okay to start spending a little bit of draft capital to that improve makes sense. so much yeah. somewhat. So uh, I don't have a neat way of no, wrapping no. this I, up. So I'll just throw up, all that. I back thought you brought you. up a couple uh, interesting uh, points in that, like, and and this is what like on our podcast that we've hammered away at a lot. I feel like in terms of like what's the value of centers, and this has been like a topic of conversation yeah. that we've both had on this podcast yep. multiple times, and. It just kind of shows in this deal. And then, we like, if I want to bring another deal into it, the Andre Drummond deal, like, it just kind of shows, like, the decreasing value of centers in this league. And maybe, like, the Rockets kind of looked at it, and they're looking at it at the right way and just, like, doing away with, like, a traditional center that makes, like, even on a favorable $15 million a year deal, they're like, okay, we can get a guy that's, like, replacement level x or like we're okay with rolling with tyson chandler isaiah hartenstein and then like having pj tucker as basically being our functional center and we're okay with that because we have another wing player to throw out there and i think that is gonna be how the nba is gonna move more towards that and and that's like something that i've been really kind of hammering home and been like yeah, just grab a bunch of wing players and see what they can do. Yeah. Um, because I don't think unless you have someone like prime Joel Embiid in his prime, like or like back in the day, Dwight Howard and Shaq, if you don't have a player that special in the center or in the middle of the uh, of the floor defending and like basically being able to take advantage in the post then I think it's, like, really hard to justify, have like, paying a center more than $15, $20 million. Yeah, I, I think what you said, I just to, before I lose this idea in my head, I actually think you that can fit into a pretty good rationale where you look at where the Hawks are versus where the Rockets are, because I think that actually, we can talk about Drummond again after, and I think the structure of Drummond's contract and where he is played a role in, like, what he got as much as the value of centers. But, like, I think it makes sense when you look at where the Hawks are versus where the Rockets are. Like, I think the answer is, like, kind of fits for both teams. Like, for a team like Atlanta, having a above-average center works as a floor raiser in, like, anchoring your defense when, you're wi- when your wings – wing defense is a little bit weaker and that perimeter defense is a little bit weaker and can kind of give you a consistent source of offense. But as we look towards the ultimate goal of the NBA, which is winning a championship, teams with better wings are able to scheme those centers off the floor a little bit more. And That's true. And you know what I mean? So it's kind of this like balancing act. Uh, so I think teams, depending on where their talent level is at in that other like I agree with you that the wing is the most important obviously but I think like you know once right. you start to take stock uh that teams will look at th- uh, their priorities a little bit differently. yeah and like at a certain point a center is just like diminishing returns yeah, exactly. and like basically having a, f- a like a wing that can function in a playoff rotation is better yep. than than having that center. Yeah. Um. So let's move on to the Nuggets in this deal. They got a first round pick from the Rockets. They didn't get much. They got some ancillary pieces. Um. Gerald Green ends up getting waived, so they have Shabazz, K 
dedicated Bates Job and Noah Vonley. I don't know how you feel about. Yeah, like, it was this just isn't like, that whatever. interesting. Like from, I wouldn't know this if I didn't listen to like Dunked On or whatever. But those guys are both restricted free agents, and uh-huh. yeah, it's pot. They kind of like for ca- this. The Nuggets are kind of notorious. Another one of these teams that like doesn't want to go into the luxury tax, and it was just a matter of like probably can't match for these guys. Um, it, it is kind of a, a kind of interesting thing. Like I haven't watched that much Nuggets recently, but for like people college basketball, like or people who are kind of looking to the future of the NBA, possible big names like this might make your ears prick up. Like Michael Porter Jr. has been playing for the Nuggets and has been playing fairly well. well. Um, yeah. And Beasley and Hernan Gomez. Beasley was in their rotation. Hernan Gomez is kind of more of like an interesting. You know, there are some guys around the league who like him. He can play kind of the three and the four and, and, and space shoot it, it out. D- yeah. yeah, exactly. But um, anyway, this trade pretty much um, guarantees that Porter's going to be a part of their playoff rotation, which will be interesting to see. Obviously, they think he's ready for, for prime time in, in that capacity. So that's kind of the thing I take. I think uh, for what they got is a, is a fairly nice return, like – it's kind of interesting to think about the Nuggets inter- as we've been talking about the Rockets. Like, it's interesting to think about the Nuggets, and I this is something Duncan and LaRue were talking about on their podcast that I thought was interesting about, like, just, like, kind of, like, I, the only turn I can th- turn a phrase I can think of is like kind of did they shoot their wad by like basically you gave Murray this max very early and like you're looking at their roster and you're like how do they make the leap you know personnel wise they're gonna have some guys up this year like Millsap's gonna be up and they might have some space like you hope like they have a Bradley be- if you're a fan of the Nuggets you hope they have like a bat like you're just starting to accumulate these assets and you hope someone pops up to be that third star um but it seems like they're kind of spinning like a trade like this just seems like they're spinning their wheels a little bit like i don't hate it for them on the overall asset play but you do start to kind of look at their long-term future and wonder barring like a and Jokic has um ended up after kind of a rough start to the season looking like much like Jokic, (laughs) but I have you. They're just not a team that's getting talked about in the West a lot, especially with the ascension of the Lakers and Clippers. And you wonder what their ov- overall, you know, future is looking like. Yeah, for me, a lot of that improvement's going to probably come internal, and they're basically betting that max deal on um, what's his name, Murray, Murray um, to make the leap basically and be that lead guard for you and and do all the things that you expect out of lead guard and i think that's fairly optimistic from their point of view and they're probably gonna they're probably hoping to get that third guy in like someone like beal and and hoping like another first round pick kind of entices the wizards to kind of let go of him maybe in the offseason um and then let's get to the wolves um, because they made they were probably the most active team um, during the deadline, yeah. um, and in making a lot of moves, they were involved in this trade, and then they were al- also involved in D'Angelo Russell, Andrew Wiggins trade, we'll, which we'll talk about right after this. So they ended up getting Beasley, Evan Turner, uh, Gomez or Hernan Gomez, Jared Vanderbilt, and then a 2020 first round pick, um, the Nets first 2020 first round pick, um, and. I the Malik Beasley like 
I when when this deal came out, I was like, I didn't get it for the wolves and why they would kind of facilitate this. And then we were having our back and forth, and you're like, well, Beasley's a nice guy, like he'll do some stuff. And then like G- Hernan Gomez, like you mentioned in earlier on, is gonna space the floor. But I I just didn't get it other than like like why are they kind of facilitating this deal for them? And um, I guess I like turned. Like, and, like, why would you give up Robert Covington? And, like, maybe, and then from, I guess, like, their point of view is just, like, we need to change the pieces. And, basically, Towns is the only thing we need. Like, we need Towns to be happy in this situation. And we're losing a ton of games, and we need to switch it up somehow. And that was the only rationale that I was thinking of. And then maybe getting off on, like the Covington I don't know I like I I'm a little perplexed by it but I think like the bees like Beasley's looked fairly good in their couple games um that they've played they've like shot the ball super well as soon as like Rocco's left yeah um in in the in the games following the trade deadline um so I get it from like there's there's a couple assets in there that are really interesting but I think um, I saw some more of the rationale when you started texting me, like, "Oh, they got Beasley and a couple other things." Yeah, and the other point I was making in that in that um, in that conversation that I think is important to hammer home here too is that Covington, while a good pl- like you brought up the Towns thing, and I think this trade looks even better in the context of what they ended up doing with D'Angelo Russell, and it's they got a they got. I'm trying to remember who they, did they get the Hawks pick or did they get the Rockets pick? I forget. Uh, the they Wolves did get a Hawks. pick though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean first that rounder, Hawks pick. Yeah. You basically got a first rounder. To me, you basically got two first rounders because I think the Hawks first rounder is obviously a first, and I think when you aggregate Beasley's value and Hernan Gomez's value, that's like a late like that's like the equivalent of like pick 29 or yeah, something yeah. like that in the first round. So I think on the on the whole two first first rounders for Robert Covington or like that package for Robert Covington I think looks good. I think the the kind of thing we were talking about was just like yeah, but you know, why are you giving up on Covington? He's a good player on a good contract. And and my answer to that was timeline. just like timeline. Yeah. Exactly. Like the utility of Covington to this team Covington makes the most sense on a team. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, at the end of the day, it's important to... We're not going to be, like, Bill simmons about Covington's value or whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, he's not, like, an all-star or anything. He's, like, a solid starter who really helps, like, a playoff team, basically, who already has four play. You know what I mean? Two, at least two players who are better than, than he is. Covington, like... Yeah, he probably helped. Their defense was fucking atrocious, even with him. Like, it's important to remember he's also been injured. Like, he hasn't necessarily been the healthiest player over over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you look at it from that point, other than the idea of, you know, keeping Towns healthy, apparently they were pretty close, and he wasn't particularly happy after he got traded. I bet he's a little bit happier now that D'Angelo Russell, a friend of his, is on the team. But, like, okay, yeah, with all that kind of I – th- I think I made my point there. But then when you kind of get D'Angelo Russell in the mix, and I think we can start to kind of move to that trade now, I just 
I'm I'm starting to I don't see like them as a playoff team and that's kind of, uh, like ne- a lock playoff team in the West and that's kind of where you have to start to like raise your eyebrows a little bit but I see them in a better spot than they were before and I have to give Gerson Rosas a lot a lot of credit because like I can at least start to see the outlines of like an idea mm-hmm. and they still have some of these assets to kind of play around with like the Hawks pick and and stuff like that they gave up one of their own first rounders in the D'Angelo Russell trade but you're like okay this is a team that's like going to be young be able to somewhat space the floor have consistent offense, you know what I mean? Pick and roll with D'Angelo Russell and Towns. Like, I think if you're the Wolves, like, you're hoping that now, like, we'll have we our shooting is much better than it was before. Like, even Covington, like, having, you know, a Beasley and Ernan Gomez, some of these other guys versus, like, it was, like, Rocco and, like, nothing, basically. You know, yeah. Wiggins and, and stuff like that. Like, it just seems a little bit more cohesive. And you're hoping, I think, that, like, they can be – we can be hopefully be a top ten offensive team and, like, hopefully dr- somehow drag our defense to, like, 20th or whatever and <laughs> yeah, be an 8-7th yep. seed. Yeah. So, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, overall, I think when you look at the philosophical implications of the moves, I think it really starts to make sense. Yeah, it, I think for, it's, like, one of those deals, like, when I saw Wiggins get traded, especially with some of the... I think a lot of people were like excited about this year for for Wiggins and like especially the way he started the year. He looked like yeah. people were like all star Wiggins possibly, and like and then he cooled off dramatically and kind of returned to what we've exp- we've seen from him in years past. And when I look at someone like Wiggins, he's it's on un- a lot of unfulfilled potential and. I mean, he was the number one pick next to Towns. Like, those were the two foundational guys that were supposed to lead this Timberwolves team to back into the playoffs. And and that playoff run that they – or the uh, eighth seed run that they made uh, with Jimmy Butler. That was kind of fun to, like, watch them, like – try to try to make a run like that a couple years ago. And they were doing some interesting things there. I – like, from the Wolves' perspective, perspective in terms of like D'Angelo and and uh Cat I defensively it's gonna be a struggle yeah. like if they could get to 20s like 20th in defense that's gonna be an accomplishment because their defense has looked not good and D'Angelo being a Nets fan he is not a great defender. No, just the idea yeah. of putting when you think about it, like putting Towns and like basically putting Towns and D'Angelo in a pick and roll action. I'm trying to think of like a worse guard big combination not in the good. league, like in terms of pick and roll defense. Yeah. I I really am not sure I can even think of one. Yeah, yeah. So it's not great. Um but like town the thing about the Wolves from the Wolves perspective, Towns post this trade sounded happy. Yeah. Like he was like, oh yes, I get to play with D'Angelo yeah. Russell, who's like one of my friends from a long time ago. And that's what the Wolves were trying to do in terms of placate him and basically slow down the drumbeat of like him wanting to get traded um, next season in, in like with like all the extension stuff that ended up happening with him. And for him to, like, possibly drum up trade rumors for himself, like, 
they definitely wanted to placate that, and I think they di- they did that job accomplished. I think this is far more interesting on the Golden so State So I want to I want to turn it to you because I yeah. want you to give your take first because I've listened to tons of NBA podcasts, whatever. Like I feel like I've started to kind of get some idea, but I'm interested in hearing your take on it because we have. Let me lay out the terms of the deal. We never yep. did yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So the Warriors got Andrew Wiggins, a 21, 20, a 2021 first round draft pick, top three protected and a 2021 second-round draft pick from the Wolves in exchange for Jacob Evans, Omari Spellman, and D'Angelo Russell. Why did the Warriors do this? Yeah, I wrestled with this a lot because at first when I we were initially texting back and forth, and I was like, why would they do this? They could have held on to D'Angelo till the summer. Like, he's on a long-term deal, max deal. They could have held on to him and see, like, what type of trade value he has and then you know, get rid of them this year. Uh, uh, get rid of them this summer for something else. And why would you take on someone like Wiggins' contract, who's, pro- like, one of the worst, probably, per-value contracts? Probably, the, the, no, probably like the worst. I think it's, like, league. him, Kevin Love, and probably Westbrook are the top three. But the worst player of those three is Wiggins. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be... How l- I'm trying to... While you keep talking, I want to look up how many more... Does it go out for two more years, or I think I'm it trying might to be, think? I think it might be three. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. I think it's the same amount of years that Russell signed for. Yeah. Um, and he's at a big number, too. Um, I think, I think then, like, I was kind of thinking, like, once it came out, it was top three protected in 2021. Like, who knows what went, what happens with, um, with Towns, like, in that situation for the Wolves. And plus, like the 2021 pick, if it's top, th- if it's in the top three, it gets rolled over, and then it's unprotected in the next year, um, in 2022. So, so I saw some of the ra- the rationalization as to why the Warriors might do it, and it ex- like from from their perspective, it extends their window. He and he and like her, like her was kind of like popping up everywhere, saying that. D'Angelo didn't fit as well with Clay and Steph as Wiggins does. Yeah, um, which we fucking knew though. Yeah. Like uh, what? I uh, not to break in, but like we go listen that, yeah. to our thing, our podcast after free agency, and I'm like, I don't understand. Like I didn't understand. Yeah, our then. heads were like, how? Like how, why is he making that move? And apparently, it came out like. Uh, Russell's agent was like, "Hey, they're offering you the max," and he and Russell goes to his agent. So why aren't we signing the fucking deal <laughs> right really? now? Because like he was like, "They offered me the max." Okay, I'm going there. Um, but yeah, it's um, I actually like. I think I've turned my. I think I've turned around to it in terms of like so is the it, Warriors. So like is it being based on the idea? The idea uh, I think that it's the Warriors conjun- can rehab Wiggins' value, or is it something else? I think it's in conjunction with the tr- the uh, the pick that they got. They weren't going to do much better for D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't know like what else they were expecting for D'Angelo Russell, especially with Russell's deal. And it's not like Russell would have. It's it's kind of hard to think about now, but like I don't know how high Russell's trade value would have ever gotten especially if Steph and Clay come back and like basically take you know take away some of the things that he's going to ha- do like on the ball. So from my perspective, I think 
maybe Russell's trade value wasn't going to get any higher and it was only going to diminish as like his contract um, as people look at the number, look at his contract lengthen years and as Steph and Clay come back, they weren't going to utilize him as much. And while they might have not, I think there's still like hope out there that Wiggins can kind of possibly do something within the culture of Golden State. And I'm very suspicious of that because he's this is his what sixth year in the mm-hmm. in the league, and usually players don't get better in their sixth seventh year yeah. in the league. Like they don't really dramatically change their game. It's really tough for that to happen. So I'm a little suspicious of that happening. But I think it is like a better fit, and hopefully Kirk can kind of like coach him up a little bit defensively. So that that's my thinking. But it is a lot of years and. I think from Golden State's perspective, like I was reading a couple pieces, I think it's all about them trying to extend the window. Extend the window as much as possible. Think about what they're going to be getting this year. They have the worst record in the league right now, so they're projected to get a top three pick this year, which is kind of crazy if you add someone like Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman. I don't know those players and like what they do for this team, but like a top three pick is a top three pick, even in a weak draft from what a lot of draft analysts are saying. Yeah. So if you add that, add another, another like probably top 10 lottery pick uh, with the Wolves maybe being in the lottery in 2021, like then you have like a couple pieces that are really interesting and maybe they package some of those piece or picks to someone else for, for another piece. Um, so I'm, I think that's kind of their idea of trying to extend the window. Yeah, um, I think one thing I also wanted to bring up, and I think that is important to look at in trying to figure out what this trade, what the rationale behind this trade was. And like, I want to kind of zoom out really broadly to back when they made the D'Angelo Russell trade at first also. Yeah, and you started to get to it at the end. Like, I think you hit on everything in terms of the Wiggins in uh, Golden State angle. I think their bet is that I wonder how much of a bet on Wiggins it is when I get to... I think it has more to do with, like, their financial realities and what they want to do in the future. I think the Wiggins angle, one thing I just wanted to add was, like, maybe this idea, like, other people have brought this up, that he can kind of... You look back to what Harrison Barnes was able to do on those early Golden State Warriors teams, and you hope that Wiggins in Minnesota, unfortunately... Like, why he's failed is he cannot do what he needs to do on that team, which is, like, be a source of his own offense. Like, you know what I mean? Be the number two option. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But in Golden State, they can kind of streamline it a little bit more. You know what I mean? Go hit threes, cut. Stay in you the know. corner. Yeah, cut. Do you know? You're a good do cutter. your job. Yeah. Be a team defender like the best you can, and you know we'll see what happens. Kind of. I'm a little bit skeptical, but but we'll see on that point. So, for people though who might not be like huge NBA guys and just kind of like look at the players and the teams, like the Golden State Warriors were in a very precarious financial situation. They were. Like I think this is an important point to bring up. They were the up way. against the hard cap and their luxury tax bill. So they were up against the hard cap, meaning like they could not sign this season at least. They could not sign players like unless they 
like, minimum. Yeah, Unless like they, they were could the minimum. Yeah, yeah, they could. They were getting to the point where like they could. They had to like use their ten days really, really wisely yep. because there was going to come a point where you know what I mean. They were like on razor thin edge, and it's they gave away. You saw this kind of need to shed salary and like the they gave away Glenn Robinson the third and Alec Burks to the Second Sixers for yep. basically crappy seconds. So so that's important. And the other thing is, like, when you z- look back to the D'Angelo Russell trade and what the point was it was, and when you go back and listen to us talk about it, I think, I feel like I had a pretty good take on it at the time because I was always skeptical of the fit, and I thought the idea behind it was their ability to move this contract. And it was like, what do you... What do and you're talking about the the Warriors extending the window? Like, what do they want in the lo- this team to look like in the long term? I think if they wanted to use D'Angelo Russell's contract or the assets from a D'Angelo Russell contract to eventually trade for a future star, I think this trade was was a, a loss. Like from a pure mm. asset play, I don't think it makes that much sense. I agree with what you were saying about Russell's value not getting any higher than this but when you look at like the the one thing you didn't mention is like what w- giving up w- like when you look at it from Minnesota's contract what was giving up Wiggins's contract in and of itself worth like that had to have been worth a first round pick yeah you would have probably in had and to of attach itself. something and even yeah. if you're saying that Russell's value wasn't that high he's probably still worth a pick to at least a few a first rounder a good first rounder from at least, you know, five teams in the league. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when you look at that on balance, it, it doesn't make much sense. And the other thing that's been brought up and that it was something I thought about a lot was that it's important to remember that the the Warriors gave up stuff to give up Russell. You traded Andre Iguodala and attached a pick to it. Like I think it turned out that they didn't end up giving up a first due to kind of how bad they've been this year. Yeah. At which was kind of just more of a lucky lucky break thing with Steph them, getting hurt yeah. as opposed to like good general managering. So when I look at all these moves, I start to kind of see a lack of coherence that worries me. We talk about this on the or I especially try and harp on this all the time when I as just like an amateur front office aficionado when I am analyzing a a front office or a team I'm like looking for what is the overall vision and do these transactions make sense in the context of what they're trying to accomplish and when I start to see what they're doing I see someone who a, a front office that looks like it's flying by the seat of its pants a little bit like is kind of panickedly going like, okay, all right, we have th- we have this kind of bit of money. Like, what do we do? You know, there's that thing of like Bugs Bunny where he's like the dam that he plugs his hole in the dam yep. and like two other holes pop open it, and that that frightens me a little bit. But um, th- when you look at the whole kind of to to circle back to what you did, and I feel we're talking about rather, and I feel a little bit more positive than I did upon initial blush they have kind of all these trade exceptions now from the Iguodala deal they got under the luxury tax which is that was surprisingly huge, huge because yeah. they were just facing down with all these kind of extensions and how expensive well, the core three are getting Sorry, and just to like interject there a little bit like by them getting under the luxury tax they get out of the repeater yeah, that's tax the, which about, is yeah right which is like 
huge for them. So, yeah, yeah. they were staring down had they not gotten out of the luxury tax with these repeater bills. They were going to be paying, you know, 50 or so. It was getting – John Hollinger wrote a piece about this, like – Basically, how the luxury tax in the NBA works is once you get past a certain point, you kind of, like, initiate these basically multipliers. So, like, every $1 above the luxury tax becomes, you know, two or becomes three. And there are kind of these, depending on how many years you've been in it and how much you're over, it becomes more and more exponential. And they were going to be, like, historically expensive. So you deferred that a lot. And people say, you know, you might say, like, well, the Warriors are in the Chase Center and they're going to be making money hand over fist. Why do they have to do that? And I think that's a thing where, like, maybe they're looking at the state of the team as it is now just comes into play. And you say, well, sure, we were willing to do that if we were going to, you know, be contending for the championship again this year. But if if not, and if the D'Angelo Russell doesn't look like a long-term option for this team, why not cut bait and take the financial realities where we can where we can get them? Totally not going to so do I it for Kai Bowman or and exactly. like someone like so uh, and Eric. Paschal and I think I team. think and people can read stuff about this. Like I don't know the capology of it very well, but now kind of having made all these moves, although they may not be able to, my I doubt their ability to move Wiggins eventually for like a, a star player maybe now they've given themselves enough maneuverability where like they can sign role players like they can sign guys to the mid-level exception and they can sign guys into into these tra or use these trade exceptions and attach kind of nominal assets that they've started to build up and, and build a team that way and you know so like i think when it comes to all that stuff time will tell a little bit and it's harder to evaluate now but at that at least makes a little bit more sense than the other way of looking at it that I kind of mm -hmm. outlined. Because from an a, a pure asset perspective, even if you assume you can rehab Wiggins' value a little bit, I don't quite understand it. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's going to be fascinating next season when you see them at full strength and like who they end up taking with their draft pick or if they even decide to keep that draft pick. Um, I think it'll be fascinating to see... like like how they look with clay with steph with wiggins draymond and then if they choose someone like anthony edwards or james wiseman like or ball Lamelo ball like who like what ends up happening with that team and what it looks like so it'll be interesting the one last trade that i wanted to get to and i think this is and we're going to shift it over and surprise surprise the timberwolves are also in like involved in this deal so they were like the hub of trade you know of trades during this uh trade deadline season um was the heat getting andre oh Iguodala. Crap, i forgot we didn't even talk about yeah that. yeah so the heat end up getting andre Iguodala from the grizzlies who's who hasn't played for the grizzlies at all this season jay crowder from the grizzlies and then solomon hill also from the grizzlies and the grizzlies received Dion waiters who ended up getting waived uh justice winslow Gorgie Jang, and then James Johnson ends up going from the Heat to the Timberwolves. Um, so what do you make of this deal? Because from my perspective, when we were texting back and forth, we were kind of like, why are, like, what is happening here? Like, and what, like, what's the rationale for, for this? And then, like, there's more things that were coming out because we're getting the, the information in bits and pieces. So we're like, Andre Iguodala 
like at first it was basically Andre Iguodala for Justice Winslow, and we we're like, why would why why is that happening? Like, why are the Heat giving up? Oh yeah, and then it ended up kind of swinging. Because yeah, I and think then by the went end the of, other way. Yeah, yeah, it ended up. So did you? I I was kind of looking at the terms. Did you mention kind of the Gallinari aspect and yeah. that falling off? Not yet, but the Gallinari. Yeah, Gallinari. Because I think that factors into it. Right. This was apparently supposed to be a three-team deal. So Andre Vidal got extended in the in this deal went going to the Heat and basically signed a two-year, $30 million extension with the second year being non-guaranteed. Yep. And they were looking to trade part of these assets and probably they were probably going to, I don't know what, it probably trade some of the expiring money or maybe like Jay Crowder was going to go to to the Thunder with some draft compensation for Gallinari, but apparently they wanted to extend him as well, and he wasn't willing to kind of agree to an extension in, in similar structure to the Iguodala one in part because Miami wants to keep 2021 caps. Yeah, this time. Yeah, and uh, so they yeah. don't want to do anything to encumber that. Um, and I think we like this deal a lot more for, for the Heat when – Gallinari was involved. Uh, totally. And just yeah. to be clear to people who it, he didn't get moved, the deal ended up being, like you said, basically Winslow and expiring stuff for Crowder and, and Iguodala. So I guess we can does look it at move it from the, the needle. The, does lot? it move the needle for the Heat? Yeah. Well, there was an interesting, I was le- reading before we came in here, a low piece where he was kind of talking about like the Heat and like, do you. Are they sacrificing th- that? The, the basically his thesis was the needle would have been moved more if they had gotten Gallinari. Totally. Um, yeah. And in sacrificing this mythical 2021 space, did you accidentally foreclose yourself? I'm not quite sure I buy that argument because I think Gallinari would have helped like offensively. But, like, at the end of the day, his defensive limitations, I wonder if they would have been exposed in a playoff. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? I do wonder right. it, how much it helps. Like, it, it's it's hard for me to gauge that. Um, but, like, I, I still like it decently. I, I think it's kind of, Looking at it, unfortunately, maybe you have more to say about the Heat than I do because I'm more fascinated kind of with the Winslow aspect of things okay. and like what the Grizzlies gave Yeah, up. I could I could take it for the heat in terms of like yeah, they add two basically rotation yeah. pieces in their playoff yep. structure of like basically Andre Iguodala is going to get minutes. Um he needs to get maybe he's in shape still, but like he needs to like get into game shape and all that. And then Jay Crowder like he's been this piece that you know, I think he struggled shooting from three this year. Like, I think he's under 30% or around that. So he's not shooting it lights out or anything, but he's another guy that's, like, you can throw out there on, like, someone like Giannis and, and like, one of these, like, premier wing players, he, he, and, like, you could throw him out there. Yeah, the trade definitely helps them on the fridges. Ironically, um, the person who will probably get pushed out of their starting lineups in the playoffs is now, like, Myers Leonard, which is a very funny... Yep. But, like, he, I do think, like, a closing lineup of, like, y- whoever point guard, like, none, let's say, Butler, 
uh, Crowder, Iguodala, and Bam like is better than whatever they would have put out prior to the trade, and and that is helpful. But does it put them into that top tier contender status I don't think with so. the Bucks? Like uh, like a Gallinari trade might have. I would still argue it wouldn't have, but might have. Yeah. yeah. No. So like, but at the end of the day, you gave up on Winslow, who. Yeah, based let's on, talk about based that. Based on now. what they seem to be, uh, just to wrap it up from the heat, because yeah, what yeah. you said kind of gave me a couple thoughts. Winslow, for whatever he was worth or not, like he wasn't, if this is the direction they want to go, which is like push for the championship now and then hope reset in 2021, like was he of that much utility to them? I'm, I'm not sure. Like he was helping out with that point forward stuff when he was healthy, but he wasn't always healthy. And, uh, He's, I would argue, probably less dependable in a playoff series in the next two years than Iguodala is. Yep. Although it'll be interesting to see, like, next year, Iguodala, like, how do they use him during the regular season? You know what I mean? Just take like, half his the value season off. Is that he's kind of a playoff guy at yeah. this point. Basically, not that he can take take half the season off till next February, and then just we'll see. Yeah. So, like, I don't hate it for the Heat, even though I'm not sure at the end of the day if it if it pushes them over the top uh, or really helps them when it comes to that end goal of winning a championship um but i agree with you just just to echo your point on the like guys to throw at Giannis thing like they now have like they can put legitimate combinations of forwards on the floor like they were doing a lot of like jimmy butler at the four stuff down the end of stretches of games this season which while useful in the regular season, I'm not sure works in the playoffs. And just having the utility of another guy like Iguodala or Crowder both next to him, I, I think that is useful. So, yeah, let's talk about Winslow. Because when it was Winslow for Iguodala straight up, I loved it for Minnesota. What, what Memphis, it's, yeah. And it wasn't going to, and it was never going to be that necessarily just for salary reasons. But then when it came to taking on this Johnson uh, waiters money, it, it confused me a little bit and the kind of rationale I've heard over and over again and not to be like this is a this is a boring to some people but definite theme of these trades is like the fr- upcoming free agency this summer and making those sort of calls of like what can we get locked down now as opposed to like use our cap space to to get in in um in free agency this summer Basically, it turned like the way based on the way this deal was structured, Memphis is paying $40 million for Justice Winslow next year. And that on itself isn't isn't great. But it's possible that they looked at the free agency market and looked at their team right now and said, is there a player that fits into what we're trying to accomplish better here than Justice Winslow? No. So let's let's just do it. What do you so what do you make of that rationale? And like what do you make of I think I guess yeah. we've talked about a lot. What do you make of Winslow at, in this Grizzlies system? So I think there's two parts to it. We'll talk about Winslow as a specific, but there's a general theme here that you were alluding to that I find far more fascinating especially with this upcoming 2020 free agency class that I think there's a lack of talent at the top and a lot of I think there's a lot of trepidation from teams um, as to whether or not they want to commit long-term money that would affect their position in the 2021 free agency class that's going to have Giannis, LeBron. Like, like LeBron's not moving, probably, but there's going to be like a lot of those 
prime free agents in 2021 in comparison to 2020, where the $40 million for Justice Winslow, if you take it in that specific example, isn't a great deal on the whole, but like you were making that point, hey, we're going to do it just because we're making the asset play for Justice Winslow. Um, and I think you see from a lot of these teams, they're trying to do their free agency work, and I'm doing it in air quotes, yeah. early during the trade deadline period so that they don't get stuck in this... I, I, they don't want to get stuck in this middle ground of having cap space and then being like, all right, we need to get a player. Now we need to commit long-term money to a player that maybe fits their system, maybe doesn't fit their system, but isn't going to be a player that moves the me needle entirely that much for this team, and we're going to commit three years, $60 million to a player, or four years, $80 mil. Like, they would probably just rather have, like, buying a guy out like they did with Waiters or kind of, like, taking an expiring deal to kind of get off some Yeah, they money ended up moving James Johnson for Jang, who I think, Gorgi Jang, who ha is on a pretty bad contract also, but right. I think only goes out maybe... 2020. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, or, yeah, till, till, till the end of till the 2020. Yeah, 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that for them makes sense, I think, and yeah. in doing something like that. And, like, someone like Justice Winslow, if he can ever stay consistently yeah, healthy... Yeah, that's the is, gamble, right? Yeah, that's, that's like, the crux of the, the problem there is whether or not he can stay healthy. But if he can, he's an interesting piece to kind of throw because they were... I don't... They were lacking in probably some of those young wing pieces because they had Ja in... In at point guard, then they had um, Jaron Jackson Jr. at their power forward spot slash could kind of be that small ball five for them, and I think could have made things really interesting for them. Like they have some nice pieces in Dylan Brooks, I think who yeah, got they just signed him to an extension. Yeah, signed an extension. Um, so like Winslow adds another piece to the puzzle during that in that wing spot position that I think hopefully could kind of change things for Memphis. And I think the hope is, like, he takes some of the offensive pressure off of Morant when Morant's off the floor, and he can kind of operate in that point forward position yeah. that a lot of people like to see him in in Miami. Just, just a point I wanted to make, because you were talking about whether they were lacking in wings or not. Like, I think a thing that's interesting to kind of look, this roster, now when you add Winslow into it, just seems kind of fully it's like you're gonna like next year you're kind of rolling with Morant, Dylan Brooks, Winslow possibly, uh, Jaron Jackson and Valanchunas basically, and then you have ba your backups. These guys who have kind of popped this year: Brandon Clark, DeAnthony Melton. Like not not necessarily like superstar names, but solid. You're just looking at this roster and kind of seeing like solid guy after solid guy. And I thought think the thing you made you the point you made was great. Like. The, the Winslow's ability to bring the ball up the floor and play point forward is actually a little bit diminished when Morant's next to him because you want Morant running your offense pretty much at all times when he's on the floor. But his ability to maybe man a second unit, I, I think, is something worthwhile. And, like, that's why I think this tr deal does make sense at the end of the day because Memphis can now kind of look at their roster and and feel like it's pretty complete with good health which is a big if and you know 
that's how any trade kind of works at the end of the day. You're you're betting on an if to some extent, but uh, if, if the if works out, like they're in, a, I think they're in a pretty good spot in the near and and long term. Totally. There there isn't much else. Do you want to hit on the Andre Drummond trade real quick? We didn't talk about it, but I think to the casual NBA fan, like it's just a big deal. Yeah, let, let's, it let's is, isn't. So let's uh, talk let's, about it. Then. So basically, Andre Drummond. And I wanna I wanna set this up. He has a player option next year. Yep, he has a player option next year. Uh, Andrew, why don't you look? It, do I, you look I it up? had it. Okay, okay. Yeah, you. D- uh, uh, do do do. It's in. Oh yeah, twenty eight million. He says he's gonna opt out. So let's just. So with that in mind, the Detroit Pistons pay. Uh, basically traded. B- Andre Drummond and his $28, $28 million player option for a second-round pick, John Henson and Brandon Knight. Basically, this trade, to me, I can kind of set it up, is Detroit trading the chance that Andre Drummond is going to pick up that option for Cleveland, you know, kind of taking a gamble on Drummond this year and the chance that he'll pick up that option or and or the chance to sign him to some sort of extension. So which side of things do you like in that deal to start? And then maybe we can get into why Drummond's value was so low around the league. Um, I mean, if Detroit didn't want him, like, I think they made the right move as unfortunate. Like, they're getting off of his contract, basically, of him the possibility of him picking it up and like getting locked into something long term i think they just kind of wanted to move on from him yeah and if you look at detroit and what where they're at they're not in a position to win at all like and i think like they have blake but blake's on like they're probably contract to me i just want to interject this i think they might have the worst situation in the entire nba when you when you look at it just like that asset bl- from assets. yeah from yeah, an point. asset standpoint they that albatross like i think now they're finally decide realizing after years and years of like chasing the eighth seed like it might be time to pivot into a rebuild but you're now stuck with that albatross of a blake contract that i no I one will know. ever yeah, that i don't know what what that does might be that might be the word possibly the worst that's deal. up there now yeah. too so yeah, I just think like they made the right move. Like they realized what they finally are, and they're like, we're not a very good basketball team, um, even with Drummond in the fold. So we're gonna get rid of this and start the rebuilding process, and kind of like, like do uh Seku Dumbia, and I I don't know if I'm saying his Dumboya, last name Dumboya, his last name right, but yeah, he's was showing some interesting signs like earlier on in the season, stretching the floor, making threes and stuff like that. And then someone like Luke Kennard, his name was like flying around going possibly to the Phoenix Derek Rose, of course, also. Derek Rose as well. Like By the way, they didn't move any of these people. Which they didn't move. Christian Wood didn't move any of these tradable guys. So they could have moved some of those guys to get some assets in the future, and they just were like, no, we're not doing that. So I, there. It seems like they're caught between two, like between two minds in terms of what it is that they want to do. But like this kind of just shows, like from our thesis of like our center is actually valuable, and Drummond's, and that just kind of shows why Drummond's 
value was so low. And I think in this specific example, it was because of his player option and whether or not he was going to pick it up. And, like, I don't know. It seemed, like, from some of the things that I was reading, it seemed like he wanted to stay with Cleveland long-term, possibly. Um, and, like, try well, to work. I think he's like, also looking at the market something. now right, right. and is like, I don't know what I can actually get if yeah. I go on the open market now. Exactly, so... Um, so, th- yeah, what I was going to just say, looking at it from Cleveland's perspective, like, I know when the trade first went through, I was texting with my friends in the group, like, my friends in the group are, like, group chat or whatever, like, kind of, and me also, like, I don't want to be, like, the casuals were saying. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's, like, why would Cleveland do this? Yep. And the thing I was kind of thinking about that, like, no one has really brought up is, like, I do wonder if, to some extent, like, Colby Altman is looking at this team and he's looking at what Kevin Love's value this trade deadline was, where they thought they should be getting assets in return for Kevin Love, and the rest of the league was saying, you need to attach assets to get off Kevin Love's contract. And I wonder if Colby Altman was kind of like, oh, shit, like, we're kind of stuck with Kevin Love. Like, we may as well try and get a little bit better. Uh huh. Um, be that by acquiring Drummond now and like possible. Like I think you can't make this trade without hoping you're going to ink him to some sort of extension. Right. And you're just hoping that you go look, Andre. Like we're not giving you anywhere near what your option is, but like we're going to give you a little bit more long term. Uh, security in exchange for you taking less. Now, where that number comes out, like that's going to be a pretty interesting that's thing be to the watch. Interesting negotiation going down the stretch. Right. Uh, the kind of interesting thing to point out, too, is that, cl- like, if he opts in, like, Cleveland's going to be a luxury tax team next year. Yep. I think they already either are or very close. Um, so that's kind of interesting. But, yeah, like, from their perspective, they're basically just kind of rolling the dice. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the value of center is, like, it does – this does play into that thesis somewhat. But I think Drummond is somewhat of a unique case due to that player option and kind of the bloatedness of his contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of – that was just my thought of thoughts on yeah, it overall. I, I, I don't I know if Col- there's much more to say beyond Altman that. I think was sitting at his, at his desk in his office, and he was just like – yeah, we're stuck. So we have no other options other than try to get somewhat incrementally better to like help improve this team. And I see. mean, the other thing like, though what else is could they have center grew? was one of their more solid positions, right. which is kind Tristan of the iron. Yeah, like Kevin Love is arguably a center in yep. and of himself. Tristan Thompson is definitely a center, and now Andre Drummond's definitely a center. Um, it'll be interesting to see if now Thompson gets bought out. No, because apparently the reason he didn't want to get bought out was like he didn't want to give up his bird rights necessarily. But now bird rights don't really matter for you as much with Thompson in the fold. I mean, with Drummond, Drummond. in the fold. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that happens. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up also. Yep. And and then there were a couple of other ancillary, smaller moves, obviously. Your guy, Scab. Yeah, we can save that. We can talk yeah. about the Blazers on the whole, and I can bring that up. There have been a couple buyout moves so far. Um, what do you make of those? Marvin Williams, uh, Hornets forward, bought out, going to the Bucks. Another Hornets guy, Michael Gilchrist, going to Dallas. Is there anything else? Any other? I, I think those are the only. I think two. there might be more to come, but do any of those stick out? Do either the of Williams those stick ones, out to you? I think the Williams one would have been interesting if he went to another team, but mm-hmm. like he does similar things to Ersan Ilyasova that 
maybe he's marginally better than yeah, Ilya. Yeah, I think so he might be a little bit more versatile be, right. defensively. So but. he might take that spot, but it doesn't. I I'm not sure like how much it's gonna matter in sure. the grand scheme of things. And then Kid Gilchrist, he's another wing piece, but he can't shoot. Yeah. So like maybe Dallas is hoping like with their shooting coaches and like their developmental guys, they can kind of fix him a little bit, but. Like he's been in the league for a while too, so it, it's yeah. Like tough. I don't know if he gives you anything that Dorian Finney-Smith doesn't already give. I think you. defensively he might be a lot better, but that's a possibility. Yeah, but Dorian Finney-Smith can make a quarter bucket, three. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's that's the thing. That's the trade-off. But I don't think they've moved the needle that much. But it's it. like the the Williams. I think if he went somewhere else, like to the Lakers or something, that could have been interesting, and that could have been like the counter to like the Marcus Morris where Williams at this stage of his career is nowhere as good probably as Marcus Morris, but like he can make a, make where, a three. where would, where would he have fit in though on the lake? I, Cause I'm like, w- he wasn't taking LeBron's or AD spot yeah. just as kind of a bench guy, another yeah. guy to throw at just, people. Yeah. Another guy. Yeah. That's fair. So yeah. Other than that, I didn't have, there's not much else. Like we were saying at the beginning of the podcast, there was a lot of quality over quantity yeah. during this trade deadline. So that was really cool um, to kind of see. Um, and like there, I mean, there's like a lot of like really just like small moves, but I thought there were a lot of interesting moves for the, I guess, serious NBA fan, especially with like the cap um, maneuvers that a lot of these teams were making to get out of the luxury tax that could definitely change the way a lot of teams see their upcoming off season. So that was really fun. Um, and there are co- there was like one there are a couple of things unrelated to the NBA. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about Portland. Oh yeah, I would like to talk about okay. Portland real quick if you don't mind. If you want to talk yeah, about yeah. the Nets, that's literally the, uh, the I Nets, think I can. Yeah. The n- they had an exciting so we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um they won a really exciting game yesterday, but I don't not much has changed. Like they're not exciting me. Um the buzzer like the Spencer Dinwiddie had a pull up jumper to win it um against Indiana on the road, which is a great win for them. Yeah. Um I was gonna say the one thing I think that's changed uh since we last recorded or like seriously talked about the Nets is at this point it's pretty clear that they're definitely going to make the playoffs at least. Like they kind of like we feel pretty you know what yep. I mean? They're probably gonna be the seventh or the eighth seed. Yeah. Like that's what their destiny is this year and maybe you've Yeah and then we accepted re- that. Yeah, accepted it and roll it over to KD. But I think the far more interesting thing is talking about Portland. Wait, can I ask you one question real quick? Because this was something I heard being discussed on a podcast, and I wanted to, just to give you something to chew on. They were talking about, so over, you've gotten to see a lot of these, because Kyrie's missed so much time, you've kind of gotten a chance to to evaluate a lot of these not ancillary pieces, but let's just call them the other guys who are also going to be there with KD and Kyrie. Um, and I was this question was raised because it was it was in the context of talking about Tory and Prince, but the question was basically like we know next year the 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 Lake the Nets closing lineup with good health will be will have Kyrie Irving in it. It'll have Kevin Durant in it, and it'll probably have Jared Allen in it. Like, unless they yeah. make some sort of move to upgrade the center position at all. Mm-hmm. Out of these guys, is there anyone 
or who, if there are multiple of them, who do you trust to be in that closing lineup with those three when the time comes? Has anyone shown has anyone kind of emerged out of the out of the morass like because they've all had their moments right Dan Witty has has played well but also been I know from other Nets fans at least have found him to be very frustrating at times you know Joe Harris Karis LeVert had a good game a couple days ago but it's been somewhat disappointing Prince has seemed to kind of like find a ni- his niche a little bit like I think Who it's out all of those gonna guys be stick. Do you think it's dependent? Like, is there dependent. no an- answer? Yeah, I think it's gonna be matchup dependent. I think Joe Harris could possibly be one of those guys just to space the floor, honestly. And he doesn't require much to like. He's he's not a he's not a high maintenance player where he needs to have the ball in his hands. So you could stick him in the corner. He's gonna he's a great three point shooter. So he's gonna open the floor for Kyrie driving lanes and. Uh, KD to operate in like the post or the high post or wherever KD has the ball and I would like it to be someone I would like it to be Levert honestly because I think the Dinwiddie the Dinwiddie Kyrie them playing together just doesn't gel right at all and I, I think it's a little bit of Dinwiddie needing the ball in his yeah, that's hands exactly too much I that say. I think it's going to be really tough for that to end up working out. So, like, ideally, if Karras can kind of improve his three-point shooting and be that second, another ball handler where he can, like, when it, it gets swung to him in the corner or on the wing, he can do enough things with off the dribble where he can drive, penetrate, go to the rack, or he could kick it out to someone like Joe Harris, Kyrie spotting up, some something like that. So I think it would probably be them too, um, in, in addition to the three that you mentioned. Yeah, that, yeah, that's fair. I just wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah, turning to Portland, like you said, Dame? I guess the number, one, the number one headline here is Damian Lillard's run, which is kind of cooling off a little bit over the past over the past few days not that he hasn't yeah. still been playing incredible but it was averaging 40 points a game well he averaged like 50 fi- over the course of i think like it was he, like five games he was right? the first yeah like he had some historically high average over whatever amount of games still that not was. western conference player of the week right was no, he, he was what, Western was Conference he? Player was of the Week okay. once, at least. Okay, he okay. was the w- the week he averaged 50, he was Western okay, Conference okay. Player of the Week. I don't know if he was last week. Um, God, there's so much. That, ta- that run, you had the missed goaltends in the Utah yep. game, which yeah, was I did one of the most, which was one of the most, I know we could, I just realized now, like we could talk for another 20 minutes and I'm starting to get very tired, <laughs> very tired. But um, yeah, like the Lillard run, I think has been, this team has to me turned a corner in the past couple of games, games. And I think you can point to two things. The Ariza trade, I think has helped just in like allowing them to kind of coalesce around what their identity is a little bit more. I think, Kent Bazemore was just hopelessly overextended in his position, and that kind of threw everything out of whack a little bit. And even though this team still has some gigantic faults and they're not going anywhere other than the eight seed, I don't think, um, they've just been able to settle into things a little bit more and kind of do enough night to night, especially offensively, to get by. Now, the other point is that Dame playing on this level has contributed to that significantly. Mm-hmm. I think I think Ariza helped in terms of like spacing and stuff like that, 
but Dame is drawing so much gravity. At the, even if he's coming back down to earth a little bit, you saw if you watched, and I only watched part of it, unfortunately, but in the Miami game on Sunday, like they're literally blitzing him with three guys, and he's gotten good enough now over the years to like take that and do stuff with it, as opposed to maybe the New Orleans series, that famous New Orleans series and it's, it's, years ago yeah. where he was flummoxed by double teams. So I think that has allowed the offense to unlock in such a way. Because when you look at individual guys, like Carmelo hasn't even played super well compared to when he first signed over over the last couple weeks. Um, CJ's playing fine, but like they've now kind of Dame reaching this level obviously is great in and of itself, but I think it has kind of allowed them to to figure out the offense a little bit more, which which did matter. It was never their weakest spot. It's always been defense, and I haven't delved into the numbers enough to see how that's improved. But they're just playing like watching them. I just see more winning basketball than I did the first. Yeah, few months of the season. It, it's just crazy because, like, you kind of mentioned, like Miami blitzing him, and like it's literally as soon as he crosses half court with oh, yeah. the ball, yeah. and like he's the threat, like to do anything. No, yeah, which is yeah. insane. Like, and like just the confidence he has to like pull up from the logo. Yeah. Like there were a couple times I think during that stretch where he was averaging fifty a game, where he pulled up from the logo, and people were like, "That's an okay shot." Yeah. Like, which is mind-boggling to even think about that and like just from just from like the perspective of like the Ariza thing like them he provides them a little bit more size like I think that like gave them enough over Bazemore to for sure to be a little bit better yeah it gave them a chance basically exactly and it they have some mildly interesting pieces. Like Gary Trent Jr. has played really, really well yep. over the last few yeah. weeks, too, which, whatever, if we talk about Gary Trent Jr. for more than a minute, we're going to do this podcast forever. But, like, yeah. there are these certain ancillary pieces that have come along also, but Dame's totally. obviously the right. number one headline there. All right, so before we get to Kareen Snack Corner... Um, are we doing Parasite Corner also? Yeah, we're doing Parasite Corner. Oh, wait, corner. could I w- the Utah thing I just wanted to say, were you watching the end of that game? Yep. You didn't, right? No, no, I was. I fell asleep, so, and, yeah. then, and then you woke, and then basically I woke up to text early in the morning, like, Because just I to talk about my wor- perspective of yeah. it, just because I think it's, we don't have to get into, like, the refereeing right, and right, all right. the fallout everyone knows at this point, but I do think it is a funny story. Like, you're watching this game, Anthony Simons gets a concussion because his legs get swapped out from under him. Trevor Ariza gets ejected, which is like, I don't know if that had ever even happened in his career before. The other funny thing that had happened earlier in the day was Maryland had had this big uh, road win over Illinois. Uh, So I was in a very good mood, and it's like, oh, the Blazers are up 15 with only seven players, you know, blah, blah, blah. They go down by nine. They come back in the fourth quarter, and then this horrible goaltending call happens. And, like, I was as distraught over, like, the end of that just because of, you know, whatever. Teams lose on bad calls. Like, ironically, the Blazers, the reason goaltending is reviewable because is because the Blazers got robbed on this regular season game where Kevin Durant goaltended, like, I think, like, a LaMarcus shot or something like that. So I had seen this kind of stuff happen before, but um, because of all of that, like, when it happened, like, 
basically like I was as upset after that game as I had been in a long time because like they're fighting for the eighth seed and stuff like that. So we don't have to, but that's kind of my perspective of it. Like on it, it was pretty, yeah, it was, it was pretty wild to, to experience that. Yeah. No. So that's it. So that's just, I just wanted to, I don't know, give memorialize what that was like for me. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting because like I was, I was, hearing back from you and you you just sounded irate and i didn't know what had happened and then i watched it and i was like no it was was, yeah it was was i mean it's the worst call to loot that the worst game deciding call and i just like the dame of course i like the dame subtweets and tweets or not even saying we don't want to hear this punk ass shit once the statement comes out that's an all-timer and it is him not getting fined for any of that just really kind of shows speak yeah. to what it yep. what you know that he was right. So whatever, we don't have to. All right, so Parasite Corner because Andrew watched every. I'm a o- huge Parasite right. fan. So. He watched every Oscar movie. The right decision was made. A lot of money could have been won by a lot of people, but I think a lot of people were not on the Parasite train. I, I think a lot of the betters thought it was like Mendez, 1917. Well, that's how it was going. As a bit of an Oscar prognosticator, like. Parasite had won the SAG Award for, like, Best Ensemble, but it hadn't won any of these other Guild Awards. It didn't win the Golden Globes. So, like, everything had been pointing towards 1917, basically sweeping at the top. And and it was a cool moment to experience. Like, Parasite was my favorite movie of last year. I I liked other movies as well, but... um. I don't know why this is like classic white man like over like trumping over the Korean narrative by talking about <laughs> how it affected me. <laughs> but it was just a cool thing to experience like when Bong won for best director like me and you were both like whoa. Wow. Yeah. And then like I kind of started to feel the momentum and thought deep down that pa- like it was either well that I thought that was awesome. Like I'm a guy who watches the Oscars every year and that speech where, you know, he gives his credence to Martin Scorsese and they gave him, it was great. him a standing yeah. over. Like he's just such a cool guy in general. And I, I thought that speech was very I found it to be very moving. I, I kind of found myself tearing up and then kind of them winning uh, Parasite winning Best Picture was kind of the icing on the cake. What was your like? What was your gut feeling when all well, of that was going down? It was it was amazing, honestly. Yeah, like, of course, to watch, you know, Korean being spoken on the Oscar stage, and it was it was it was incredible. Just because like I was watching it with my parents, and they're like, not in a million years would we ever think Korean cinema would be recognized on the highest level like this, and it should have been recognized because I thought it was one of the best movies last year and or this past year during this Oscar season and I'm just glad that it got the the recognition it deserved and as soon as it won adapt or original screenplay I started thinking okay this could be a sign of things to come yeah. or it could just or it was be the like consolation right prize. the consolation prize and then once Bong won the best director award I was like all right I think I think um they're going to win best picture and it was just a really cool um, collective moment for like all Korean people to see that end up happening, um, especially being recognized on a world stage. And um, there are like a lot of really interesting pieces, like um, how the Best Picture Award has become so unpredictable over the past four to five years, yeah. like with Moonlight winning and all this type of stuff. So 
And it just bizarre to, I mean, as a movie fan, it's bizarre now to, like, go back and look at the last five Best Picture winners. You have Parasite, followed by Green Book winning over Roma, which feels like, not to, like, but it feels like Makeup this was call? a little bit of a corrective to that. Yeah. I think Roma's a fine movie. I like Parasite more. I mean, but, and then you have, like, Moonlight, and then you have, like, uh... The Shape of Water, which was this kind of weird, hokey movie made by a great filmmaker that a lot of critics don't like. So it, it is kind of interesting to chart the narrative of this stuff because you wonder, you hope that uh, like this, you know, obviously it's great for South Korea and South Korea has been making a lot like they're a great, you know, Bong obviously is is a great director and like movies like Snowpiercer and Okja. And I would love to go back and watch like Memories of Murder now, I which oh, I haven't yeah. seen personally, but if like the host it, is well regarded. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are other South Korean filmmakers who have been well regarded as well. But I you hope that on the whole this, you know, whatever it's been, who gives a crap? But like you hope that on the whole, like international cinema, you know, maybe this opens something up for its viability for American audiences and, you know, to get the credit that it deserves on in these kind of symbolic arenas as well. Yeah, it is cool to kind of see. And I have a friend that works for CJ Entertainment, who's the production company oh, really? that released it. So she was at the Oscar party. That's and sick. It was, it was really cool to kind of see well, the, the backstage behind the scenes, like, moments of like them celebrating and things like yeah that. no that is sick and by the way there should have been at least two acting nominations too that they got completely just like a recognition yeah yeah so yeah. it would have been cool but um what was i did you see some of the discourse over the last day or so it was very exhausting like about like because me and you love the movie and have talked yep. about it and it works on multiple levels but there's a lot of like do people even get parasite like get what and we were talking yeah. about that a little bit like kind of maybe how you react to do it versus like people of your parents generation reacting to it and stuff like that but my answer to that like i under i get it quote unquote like yeah. and appreciate the class and i class symbolism and stuff like that but i don't think movies have to work like that all the time it made me think of like the wolf of wall street a few years ago and like people being like you know like people like thinking that jordan belfort was a admirable character or like being mad at martin scorsese for you know what i mean yeah. like things can work on multiple levels and whatever sometimes people understand what it's supposed to mean and sometimes that's the great thing about that movie and why i would encourage like i'm sure most people listening to this have have seen it but like it it's a Watch it's a it. well it's an incredibly well-made movie and an entertaining movie beyond all the all the symbolism and you know, whatever it means. Yeah, totally. So All everyone right. go watch it. Um, speaking yep. of Korea. Speaking of Korea, making the transition, basically trying to turn Andrew Korean at this point. Um, we are here at Korean Snack Corner, and I have two snacks because yeah. of our snafu last podcast of <laughs> Andrew not being able to try either snack so by the I way my sister both. i'm i'm dragging this podcast out so no, no, fucking it, long it i'm is sorry okay. but korean snack corner it deserves its own it you know we shouldn't rush through my sister minutes. tried the choco pie and thought it was really really good so okay. at, at least someone got to enjoy that even I, though I, I appreciate didn't. i appreciate that someone in the Ramondi household was able to enjoy the, uh, the choco pie all right so i brought two snacks for andrew uh, very well known to all koreans and Korean Americans. Uh, the first snack is a drink. Um, 
it is called Milkis. So this is fascinating. So it is. It is. I'm a little scared. By out this. of the box um, for a lot of people that aren't used to it. I think it's delicious. So you've this isn't like you just picking out something. Oh weird no, no, to, no, like no. This is this is, we- this this is, is popular. popular. Okay. This is popular. It so on the bot or on the can, it's called Milkis Refreshing Milk and Yogurt Flavor, and it's carbonated. Yeah, that's so, what's freaking me so out. So it, it's a that's wild really ride. Um, so why don't so Andrew, why don't we try this first? Okay. Um, I've had this growing up. I think it's delicious. It comes in different flavors. This is the original flavor, but it comes. That, do you like this flavor the best, or is there? Because fl- I feel like you would have had a better. I'm not coming into it with a predis. Predis. I'm gonna try and judge it as, but I feel like a flavor would have eased me into it a little bit more than. So this or, is the original, but um, there's like peach, apple, strawberry. Strawberry is delicious. Got um, it. But yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's basically milk and yogurt flavored soda. Yep. From what I understand. Exactly. Here we go. And for some reason, well, now it has soy in it. Yeah, no, I don't I don't hate it. The fla- honestly, I think if you would blindfold me, I let me let me try another sip. Like I'm wanna I'm closing my eyes to try and really taste it. Yeah, if you would like come to me and said like just try this without telling me what it was, I don't think I would have gotten that it was like milk flavored. I'm trying to th- compare it to something though. It's like a it's so when some so when friends that have never tried this before have have event like when they try it, they're like, I can't put my finger on it and it tastes pretty good, but like when you it's you know what it kind of tastes them, like? It kind of tastes like and maybe the milk thing is is in my head. Yeah. But like it reminds me of like if you had like a Coke or a root beer float that like but it all melted into it because it's not like super carbonated and yep. it feels a little bit thicker and more viscous than your average soda. But it doesn't have like a huge dairy flavor to it. Uh-huh. It just tastes sweet, but not quite as like it's you not know, as sharp right, as your right. average soda. There's not a dairy. So I like it. Like it's 130 calories for a pretty small can. Like oh, I, and and yeah, you're only drinking one. Yeah, can exactly. Think, so. Like for the value of like it, like it's not something I see myself drinking on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Like necessarily, you know what would actually probably be good? Like this with a little bit of vodka or something in it as so, a mixer would probably be sick. So um, it's funny that you go there because you know Koreans love to drink. Yeah, and um, this is. They they mix this sometimes with soju okay, or that with make sense. or with some like um, it, it's called makgeolli. It's like this uh, like rice wine uh, type of drink in Korea. So this is a great mixer. Yeah. Um, that a lot of people do so, mix this. Drink so with. overall, I enjoy it. Like I on my uh, I've on been famously yep. giving my pitchfork scale, which is a zero point zero to a ten point kind of putting the best new music designation on anything that is a kind of an editor's pick. This is a solid this is a solid 7.6 to me. Like it it's very good and it succeeds at what it's trying to do. Like it's not overly weird. I I think s- someone would enjoy it, but it's it's for children to me a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it I doesn't did grow quite, up on It's this. not something I could would see even though I did enjoy it and like would see it as like an occasional treat. I don't see myself ever like going to the store and picking up a 12 pack of All it. All right. So second snack here we come. 
Andrew, do, if you want to double check the ingredients, I'm going to. Okay. I'm going double to. Double check. I'm scared about double check this, the ingredients. Um, no, I can have this. W- wheat, milk, egg, peanut, and soybean. God, like Korean food, like well, everything has soy in it, which is fine. Like a lot, I yeah. guess a lot does. A lot of peanuts in Korean peanuts, food too. I know. For, love but I the can peanuts. have this. Okay, so the second snack that also, I brought. Let me Korean food. This. Let me say just yep. real quick as like a broad. Like, Korean, Asian people in general, like, this is a little bit of a stereotype, but known to be very healthy. You don't see a lot of, like, fat Koreans and stuff like that. A lot of this food is, like, very high in, like, calories and, like, fat. Like, maybe you guys just have better portion control than, like, Americans por- do. I would say portion control and the other food that we eat is yeah, healthy. That's so, fair. Um, so, the, the second snack. I'm excited yeah, for this. second stuff. snack that I brought for Andrew is called Home Run Ball. Very popular snack in Korea. It's like this pastry, not even, it's not like a pastry, but it's like a, how, it's like a cream puff with chocolate yeah, in the middle. that was a good way to describe um, it. The outside reminds me of a cream puff or like a cross between like vanilla wafer. And it looks like kind of flaky, surprisingly flaky yep. though for what a, for what a, uh, cookie a packaged cookie usually yep. looks so like i would eat these all the time when i'd come home from school um so these are one of my favorite snacks so andrew why don't you give it a try you, you let eat me one know what you, you think you eat one too though hmm. oh wow as an italian why does this have peanut in it i don't taste any peanut at all i think it's just in the chocolate maybe like i get maybe in. a little yeah. bit of a hint after so I'll say, as an Italian, like this isn't too far. Even though it's process, it's a little bit more processed, mm-hmm. obviously. And there's a little bit of a that fake. I don't know what it is. Like, the chocolate itself is good quality, but there's a little bit of a not like a weird aftertaste, but like kind of a processed quality to it that that turns me off slightly. But this isn't that far off from like a. An Italian, pa- you know, like in a like in a Claire or like a cream puff that you would get from an Italian bakery. Actually, I remember my mom buying these. Like, this isn't like, you know, whatever. I don't know what ethnic kind of background this comes from, but like, I remember my mom at some point when we used to belong to Costco. You could buy like cre- frozen cream puffs that you could like kind of heat up and eat, and that's what this reminds me of a little bit. It's it's pretty good, not bad, but one of my favorites. I find is it one of your favorites? Kind of one of my favorites. Because I will say, overall, the quality of what you've given me has been extremely high, and this is also good. But I think this is my least favorite snack. We've Interesting. Tried so far. Okay. I'd give it a seven point okay. It's good. The pay the pay, it's good. And I could probably eat a shit ton of them if I sat here. It's not overly sweet, which yeah, is good. That's um, why I like them. And uh, you know what I mean? But the pastry aspect of it itself doesn't have that much flavor to it, which I find a little weird when I don't get a bite that's super heavy on chocolate. Totally. But still very good. Totally. So it's... Uh and I think that's what I like about Korean snacks. Usually they're not overly sweet or yeah. not overly chocolatey yeah. like usual American snacks. So that's why I kind of I like I think I'm going to kill this milkus I know. thing. It's, so. it's delicious. So that's why I kind of like this. Maybe Claire Saffitz can kind of improve this and make it not <laughs> feel as, um, as mass produced. So 
Um, Andrew, as always, thanks again for coming on the pod. Yeah, this was fun. Um, yeah, it was a good time. Um, so thanks for coming on. Trade deadline stuff, obviously. And we're really excited to see what ends up happening um, as we march towards the playoffs. What else you got coming up down the pipeline? Is it all about, is it like me and you, basketball? basketball What's going on in Basketball, football's anything? done, obviously. Maybe if <laughs> me and my brother were joking around talking about XFL, XFL stuff, but... I think it's a little bit of a stretch. Um, soccer, there's a lot of fascinating things talk like in soccer. We'll probably be doing one in in a week or so. Um, March is coming up, and that's when Olympic qualifying is coming up for the U.S. men's national team. So that's the U23 team. So that'll be really fascinating. And my Liverpool team is on the march for a perfect season um, to match what Arsenal did back in um, 01, 02, 03, around then uh, with the Invincibles as Andrew reaches for more home run balls. So thanks again, Andrew, for coming back on. And uh, thanks for uh, listening, guys. And just be on the lookout for some of the podcasts that we have in the future.